0: Good morning! This is Jake Brown and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and you can find us at 8774 North US Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. We love to meet new people and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. Well. It's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. This morning's message is called Resurrection Lessons. Typically, when a man is asked to preach a funeral, the assignment is either explained or assumed to be Preach the deceased into heaven. You know, never mind if the man was a brawling drunkard to the day he died. Never mind if the woman was unfaithful to every husband she ever had and was that way up to the day she died. Never mind if the person was known for their open rebellion against God. Never mind if the person was outspoken about their disregard for Christianity. Regardless of their lifestyle, it seems nearly all of these people end up with some sort of religious man standing at the front of the room, standing next to the casket, waxing poetically about the beautiful life our dearly departed had led. Sure, they had their demons just like the rest of us, but they were fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and aunts or uncles who were loved by their families. They shall be deeply missed forever. Oh, and of course, without a doubt, they are now in a better place. May they rest in peace. Now, this is interesting. Obviously, in some cases, we know with relative certainty that a deceased person is not indeed in a much better place, but in a place that is somehow much worse. But it's interesting because the way we do things now isn't the way things always used to be done. In the pagan cultures, there was wailing, loud crying, blood-curdling screams, yelling, extreme sadness, anger even, agony over those who had died because they didn't believe in resurrection. For them, there was no hope at all for the for the dead body that they were gathered around. No substantial hope for the departed soul. No life beyond the grave. Death was basically seen as a sleep from which there was no awakening. It was sometimes referred to by writers as one unending night to be slept through or one unbroken night of sleep. You know, I I would probably scream and wail and cry uncontrollably, too, if this was all there was. But, you know, it's also not true that everyone who dies has the confident expectation of being transferred to, quote-unquote, a better place. And not everyone who dies has the hope of being resurrected to eternal life. And so, whether you're in the first century, surrounded by pagans in Thessalonica, or the 21st century, surrounded by weak remnants of our Christian roots— It's important that we learn some resurrection lessons. Open your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading this morning in verse 13. Uh, We're just going to work our way through the text this morning, pretty much verse by verse, and the plan is to finish with chapter 5, verse 11. This entire block of Paul's letter here, uh, chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 11, is all dealing uh, with lessons regarding the resurrection from the dead. Now, not exclusively the resurrection of Christ, but for the most part, the resurrection of Christians that is yet to come. So let's jump into the text this morning and let's see what kind of lessons that Paul shared with the Thessalonians. And of course, we'll consider what we can learn from it all. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, Paul writes this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Now, when Paul says those who are asleep, Paul's referring to those who have died. Now, this is a text that's been misused, inaccurately applied, misdefined to suit opinions and personal preferences. But the fact is this, Paul isn't scolding the Thessalonians or teaching that you shouldn't grieve the loss of life. Death came into the world as a result of sin, so in reality, we should hate death. It's totally natural and normal and okay to grieve death. Of course, we all know that Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. Mind you, this was when he showed up to Lazarus' tomb four days after he had died, knowing that he was going to raise him back to life. If the Lord doesn't think that we should grieve when loved ones die, maybe somebody should tell the Lord. Folks, it's okay to grieve the loss of life. Death is a terrible thing. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 describes death as an enemy. It says the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So go ahead and grieve death. But the lesson that Paul is actually teaching here in verse 13 of our text, if we just read it plainly and don't twist it, is this. We shouldn't grieve like those who have no hope. When a Christian brother or sister passes from this life, we're going to miss their presence. We're going to miss their service. We're going to miss their help. We're going to miss everything about them. So we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Paul wants to comfort these Thessalonian Christians by informing them. According to Paul, these Thessalonian Christians were uninformed when it comes to the facts about those who die in Christ. You see, it's entirely possible that that no one had died during the time that Paul was in Thessalonica when he was working with these new converts, you know? Remember we said in week one of this message series that Paul may have been in Thessalonica for as little as three weeks or at a maximum probably still only six or seven months So it's entirely possible that none of these newly faithful Christians in Thessalonica died during this period of time, and so maybe the subject just didn't ever come up. But now, Paul wants to inform these new Christians that when your faithful Christian brother or sister experiences physical death in this life, there's no need to grieve like those who pass from this life with no hope of resurrection to eternal life. Paul continues in verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. If we believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can and should believe that his faithful disciples will also die and be resurrected one day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 20 through 23, the scripture says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. You understand, Jesus' resurrection is proof that we who are in Christ will ourselves be resurrected one day. Paul is using this in our Thessalonians text to comfort these people with the knowledge that those who have passed from this life are with the Lord and will return with the Lord. That's what Paul's getting at in the next verse. verse 15, he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul's trying to set the facts straight in in the Thessalonians' mind. Remember, in this generation, we're only a couple of decades removed from, from Christ's resurrection and his ascension, and we're talking about brand new Christians here. So these Thessalonians likely had something in mind uh, like, you know, Jesus was coming back any day now, and they apparently had some level of ignorance as to what would become of Christians who weren't alive when Jesus comes back. So Paul's telling them here in verse 15, Don't worry about your friends and family who've died in the Lord. They aren't missing out on anything. Those who died as faithful followers of Jesus aren't at some kind of disadvantage. And in the next verse, Paul tells them specifically how it's going to go. He says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. See, the dead in Christ will actually rise first when the Lord himself descends from heaven. And as verse 17 points out, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Anyone who is alive when Jesus returns will actually, technically, be caught up together with Jesus after those who had already died before his coming. Now, we have no reason to believe that there's going to be some great delay between uh, these two events here. After all, there's a day of judgment coming, a a single day of judgment. It's, it's not going to be some long, drawn-out process. Things are likely going to move kind of fast that day. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, John records the words of Jesus where he says that an hour is coming, in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. It just doesn't sound like things are, you know, moving slowly on the day of the Lord. But the important thing that we can know for sure, and that the Thessalonians needed to know, is that there's no need to worry for brothers and sisters in Christ who died before the Lord returns. Unlike the pagans around them who wailed and mourned for their deeply departed, whom they believed had entered into some kind of eternal sleep, the scriptures have clearly defined for us that the dead in Christ are at no disadvantage whatsoever. In fact, they're in the presence of the Lord as we speak. Therefore, Paul says in verse 18, comfort one another with these words. You know, it's real easy to get hung up on what we don't know about death and what happens after we die. But we don't need to chase rabbits that we can never catch, and we don't need to get involved in heavy speculation on specific details that we'll never know for sure in this life. But as Christians, we can and we should be informed about what we can know. It's healthy for us, and it's comforting to know what we have been told through the written Word of God. In addition to comfort, This knowledge should motivate us as well. It should motivate us to create as many opportunities as we can to win as many souls as we can to the Lord. This shouldn't be our only motivation, but it certainly ought to play a role in motivating us to win the lost. We want them to have the hope of eternal life, and we want the comfort of knowing that they have this hope, whether they leave this life before Christ returns or uh, remain here on the earth when he comes back. This should be comfort and motivation for us. Now, as we transition into chapter 5 of Paul's first letter here to the Thessalonians, Paul kind of flips the coin over to look at the other side. The focus of what we've read so far has been on those Christians who have already died. You know, where are they and what's going to happen to them? Well, now, Paul's going to talk exclusively about those who may be here when the Lord returns and... We're going to see that some have good cause to fear that coming day of the Lord. But as Paul will go on to point out, we are not to be like them. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 1 here. Scripture says, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, so as Paul says, there's nothing to write about on that subject. I want you to notice, though, that Paul says that day will come just like a thief in the night. I think we all understand that to be an illustration of how little we know about the timing of this particular event. But is that really what's being said here? I don't think so. Here's what I'm confident Paul wants us to understand. You don't know when a thief is coming, but if you're prepared, you don't worry about it. If you're vigilant and you live in a state of readiness for the event, it's all going to be okay when it happens. However, if you're not ready and you say things like peace and safety, and then that day comes and the thief interrupts that peace and safety you wanted to convince yourself of— Then destruction comes upon you suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and that person will not escape. As we come to verse 4, it becomes even clearer that Paul isn't talking about Christians who are waiting in readiness for that day. Uh, When it comes to the timing of the Lord's return, we don't have any better idea than the non-believer, but we are living as prepared people. They are not. We are going to be just fine on that day. They are not. Paul starts highlighting this contrast with an emphasis on our situation, beginning there at verse 4. Paul says, but you, brethren, see, there's a, there's a contrast, there's a difference. He wasn't talking about us in that previous picture. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. See, the, the day of Christ's return doesn't affect us like it does those who are outside of Christ on that day. Verse 5, he says, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope. Of salvation, in the Bible, the terms day and night, or light and darkness, are often used to represent good and evil, or truth and lies, or even knowledge and ignorance. God Himself is the ultimate form of light. In John's Gospel, the Son of God is called the Light. He's also called the Word, and He's called the Truth. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, Scripture records for us the fact that heaven has no need of the sun. Or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. As those who have been immersed into Christ in full faith, being clothed with Christ, becoming children of God, we have become children of light. We are on the side of good. We are on the side of knowledge. We are on the side of truth. We are to live sober, alert lives, prepared for that wonderful day when the Lord returns. As Paul stated in those final few verses of First Thessalonians chapter 4, we don't need to grieve like those who have no hope when one of the faithful passed from this life. But as we're looking at this side of the coin, we need to make sure that we are living in a state of readiness, that we are indeed living a sober or self-controlled, alert life, thinking logically and behaving properly. Part of our readiness includes having put on the breastplate of faith and love, as Paul says here in the scripture, and the helmet of salvation. You know, that wonderful hope, salvation, that confident expectation of the fulfilled promise to come. Paul compares these things to protective gear for a reason. Somebody who shows up in protective gear is what? What will we call them? Prepared, ready, alert, right? In verse 9, Paul writes, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. These verses are the summation of this whole conversation on those who are awake versus those who are asleep. So far, Paul has discussed those who are asleep as in dead versus those who are alive when Christ returns, and Paul has discussed those who are asleep as as in unaware and unprepared versus those who are of the day or sons of light, or we might say awake. And now here in verses 9 and 10, Paul is drawing it all to a nice conclusion as he explains that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alive or dead at Christ's coming, all the faithful will live together with God. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is God's destiny for us. The scripture tells us so. And so, very fittingly, Paul tells the Thessalonians in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. In chapter 4, verse 18, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. He was referring to the fact that those who fall asleep uh, or die in Christ will indeed be raised up on the day of the Lord. They aren't missing out on anything. They aren't at any kind of disadvantage. In fact, they'll be raised up first. We'll be caught up in the air to join them shortly thereafter. Well, now at the end of chapter 5 here, there in verse, well, at the end of the section we're reading here, here in verse 11, Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build up one another. In other words, because of the promise that has just been stated, you know, the fact that the faithful will all one day All of us will be raised up to live eternally in the presence of God because of that truth, in light of that truth. Encourage one another and build up one another. Church, it is my prayer this morning that these resurrection lessons would comfort us and motivate us. I pray that they comfort us knowing that the dead in Christ are with the Lord now and will forever be with the Lord. And I pray that these lessons will motivate us to live as children of the light, ready at all times for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, I pray this morning that what we've learned here this morning, these resurrection lessons would indeed saturate our minds, that they would indeed comfort us, knowing that if we and our loved ones our church families, our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we will live faithful lives to the end that that crown is waiting for us. We will be raised to eternal life one day. And Father, aside from the comfort I pray that it would be motivating. These resurrection lessons would be motivating, as we've said here this morning, in such a way that it motivates us to win lost souls, to encourage and build up one another so that we keep the faith and stay the course, and that we ourselves, aside from motive, aside from encouraging others, that we ourselves uh, would be motivated to stay on course, to stay on the tracks, to to keep it between the lines, to live for the Lord, knowing full well the resurrection is coming for us one day, no matter what, whether we're alive when the Lord returns or whether um, we're, uh, we've passed from this life and are in the presence of the Lord up until the day he comes, that we'll all be raised up. We'll all go to be with you in your presence for all eternity. God, thank you for those that have listened to this message today. And I pray that it would be uh, equipping for the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we finish things up here this morning, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now the most important question that any of us could ever be asked. It's a question that each and every single one of us needs to be able to answer honestly. Here's the question. If the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure, no doubts whatsoever, that you would go to live with him forever? Do you know for certain that he's going to let you into heaven? Can a person even know? Well, I've got good news. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle John writes that we can know. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, that's good news. I want to know that I have eternal life. Now, let's back up just a little bit, and I want to show you a reality that's in the Scriptures that we need to deal with. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Scripture says there's coming a day When the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So according to the Bible here, somebody's going to get in trouble when Jesus returns. Somebody's going to pay. Who did this passage of Scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well there are two groups listed, right? Number one, those who do not know God. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now maybe you know God, I hope you do, but let me ask you this, have you obeyed the gospel? Before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." So, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, but what is it? What is the gospel? We know what it does, we know uh, the power that it holds, but what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Bible interprets itself here. The the Apostle Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the Gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I want to read Romans chapter 6, just verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... Have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. Now, folks... The Bible makes it clear you must believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. According to several scriptures, for instance, Matthew sixteen sixteen, John one one, John one fourteen, John eight fifty-eight, Colossians two nine, and Hebrews one eight. According to those passages, We learn that Jesus is the Christ, the one who would come to save us from our sins. We learn that he is the son of the living God. We learn that he himself is God, one of the three distinct personalities that make up God. And we learn that he is God the son who came to earth in human form. Folks, we must hear the gospel and believe it. We must trust Jesus completely. We must make a distinct turn away from sinful living and toward God's holiness and righteousness. The Bible calls this change in our behavior, repentance. We must confess our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, we must obey the gospel through baptism. That's where we're immersed in water by the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is indeed where we are baptized into Christ's death, into his burial, and raised up to newness of life by the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from death. And Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16 make it clear that at our baptism, our sins are forgiven, washed away. 1 Peter 3.21 literally says, baptism saves us. Galatians 3, 27 teaches us that through faith and as a result of our baptism, we become children of God, clothed with Christ. So let me ask you again, if the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure with no doubts whatsoever that you would go to live with him forever? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions you have. We would appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, keep listening and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at Liberty Christian Church at one of our Sunday services. We meet at 10.30 a.m., again 10.30, each and every Sunday morning at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. That's 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. Indiana. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, there are a few different ways that you can do that. First of all, you're welcome to call and leave a message on the church phone. Just call 812-273-1518. That's 812-273-1518. Please leave us a message letting us know that you're calling because you heard us on the radio. Uh, Be sure to let us know why you're calling and then let us know how we can best follow up with you. Or you can also reach out to us on Facebook by searching for Liberty Christian Church, Madison, Indiana. Or you can send us a message directly from our website. Now, speaking of our website, if you'd like to hear this message again or to listen to other messages, just go to our website, www.liberty-christian.com. You can just click listen now and there's a whole archive of messages that you can hear there. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. Jesus created his church as a body of people. His church is a family made up of sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have been called to meet together regularly. The pattern that we see from the church in the Bible is that they met every Sunday. So, if you're able, Come meet with us next Sunday right here at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth.